Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Man, it's nice to preach to people. Man, it's so good to see everybody. And uh, wow, just worship was so rich, wasn't it? Just something about being in a room with people is now special. You know, like it, it used to, we used to take like Sunday mornings for granted. And now like after 182 days of church looking different, I always like to correct people, church never closed, right? You can't close the church, right? The building closed, but church didn't close, but, but church did look different. And, and throughout that time, God did some amazing things. But I have to be honest and say, I am so thankful that that season is over. Amen. Amen. Like, I, I'm excited to be preaching to people. I'm excited that we can worship together. Um, but you know what? This is a day of transition. Let me, let me just be real. Uh, we're transitioning back into church. We're, we're learning how to say hi again. We have an online campus. What's up, online campus? We love you, everybody who's tuning in. Um, and, and so there's been a lot of things that have happened that are, that are new and different. Um, and, and I also want to say that there have been some people transitions that have happened over this COVID. And, and, and I will say that we have another one today that we want to highlight. I know it's, a, it's a really bad news. Um, but, but here's the deal. This young lady has faithfully served our house, this church, from basically the beginning. And before we used to wear masks everywhere, she would be up here all the time and you could see the permanent smile on her face. There's this conference that we do around here called World Mandate. And what that means is, is that World Mandate is an incredible time to be together, but it also costs us a tremendous amount uh, to put it on, meaning that it takes a lot of time to pull off what we all get to experience and enjoy. And in the middle of that, this young lady served and would come up to me on Thursday night at midnight when we're like testing stuff and trying to figure out. And she's like, thanks so much for letting me be a part of this. And this young lady is moving to London to do grad school. And so today is her last Sunday with us. She has been running point and leading out on all of the lighting and everything that happens from a visual standpoint, uh, not just here at our South Campus, but also when we tackled everything online and our North Campus. Her name is Sophia. Sophia, where are you? Come up here. Come on now. Yes. Come on up here. Get up here. Let everybody see those boots. We do this, we do this thing around here called the golden hammer. And we, we say that it's often duplicated, but it never can be replicated. Like this is a special, special thing. And, and we give out these, these pure gold spray-painted hammers <laughs> to people who have faithfully laid their life down to build this church. Sophia, we hammer you. I didn't touch the middle. Bless you. 
You're the best. We're going to miss that one. We're going to miss her. We're going to miss her. We're going to miss her. Um, all right. Well, we are in week three of a series that we're calling Tone. Have you enjoyed the Tone series? Uh, keep it real. How many of you have not even been watching church and you're... You didn't even know that we were in a series. That's okay. We're glad you're here. Uh, but we've been taking the past couple of weeks and leaning into what does it look like for us to be tone setters in culture? And not just to be subjected to the tone that we're feeling, but actually be the tone of heaven and everything that we're experiencing. And our foundation passage that we've been leaning into over these past couple of weeks is birthed out of Galatians 5, 22. And it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And the tension that we have run into week in and week out as we've been in this series is that the fruits of the Spirit, the evidence that we have been transformed is in opposition to the tone of our culture. And so we have to be like, okay, is the, is the tone of our culture shaping us or are we shaping it? Is the tone of the culture that we're living in shaping us or as the people of God, are we shaping it, right? Romans 12, 2, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every aspect of who we are as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, should look like, feel like, and sound like heaven, Every aspect of who we are, everything, every interaction that anyone has with us, it should sound like, look like, smell like, and feel like heaven, right? Regardless of the situation, regardless of the conversation we find ourselves in, it's who we are that's going to bring clarity and hope to what we believe. Today, I want to take another step in this conversation we've been having and ask the question, have you ever wondered what you should say? Have you felt that specifically now? What do I say? What, what, what in the world do I say? How do I navigate through what feels like our landmines of conversations and be someone who has every interaction that looks like, smells like, and feels like Heaven. So, so how do we do it? What do we say? Psalms 141 verse 3 says it very beautifully. Set a guard over my mouth. Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. Title of my message today, if you're a note taker, and if you're a note taker, you already know this. You're, you're going to sit closer to Jesus in heaven. The title of my message is When Conversation Goes Toxic. When conversation turns 
toxic. Let's pray, Jesus, I'm asking that you would allow us to encounter you, to experience you. Lord, you'd get me out of the way that the word of God would come alive in us today and that, Lord, you would speak and breathe on everything that happens in these moments so that we can leave transformed by your presence. And everybody shouted because we can. Amen. Amen. I know it's been a while since we've been together, but don't be sleepy on me, all right? I've been, I've been preaching to an empty room for six months. So let's take advantage of the fact that you can talk, all right? Let's take advantage of it, okay? Let's, let's have a good time. Now, a few years ago, Liz and I were living in Seattle, Washington. Some of you guys know this part of our story. Uh, we were living in Seattle. We were planting a church there, the Antioch Church that's there. It's actually called Mosaic. And uh, we were kind of like in the first year of planting that church and Jimmy Seibert who is the guy who in the 90s started this church that turned into a movement of churches that's called Antioch was invited to speak at a conference at a church that was outside of Seattle Washington and he called me and he said hey dude I'm going to be coming through town why don't you just pick me up at the airport and we can just spend a couple of days together you can be at the conference with me and I'm like man this this sounds fantastic now up to this point I'm 24 years old. I have about 15 people in our church. We don't know if any of them are saved. So needless to say, the byline of my life was not J.D. Griffin, what a church planting success. Okay, at this point in my life, it was like, wow, J.D. Griffin, who is this guy and why is he yelling all the time? Right. That was about the, the version of what was going on in my world. The reason I tell you that is that in this conference, the first thing that we went to together was like the meeting that was before the meeting that was before the meeting. And so it was like eight people. It was all mega influential leaders, CEOs of huge companies. And it was a conference for how to mobilize business men and women to start thinking missionally. And so this was a really big deal. There was going to be thousands of people that were at the conference. And this is like the meeting before the meeting before the meeting. And then I get to be in the room. Okay. Have no business being in the room. Have no business being there. And I understood that. And you know what? I was fine with that. I was okay with that. Because in that time, before anything had started, I'm like, dude, I'm just going to be a fly on the wall. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to take all this in. What a, what a cool thing that I get to hear these guys talk about leadership and what God's doing in their life and through their companies and through their ministries. Like, what an amazing privilege, right? Okay, everything is going great. I'm saying nothing. I'm sitting next to Jimmy. We're like at a big conference table. I'm just sitting back. No words have been said to me, from me. You know, like I'm just there, okay? Until this guy asked Jimmy, who was going to be sharing that evening, hey, Jimmy, could you just tell us what you're going to be speaking on? Now, let me just let you know that Jimmy was invited to speak at this conference on this topic, okay? Let, let's just be clear about that. Jimmy did not invite himself. He was invited to speak at this conference on this topic. And they say, hey, Jimmy, so what are you going to do? And so ultimately, Jimmy goes through this amazing explanation of the power of the potential of all of us living missionally on mission, regardless of our occupation, right? Regardless of, of what we physically do, that we can all be people who see the kingdom of heaven advance in our day. And I was just sitting back going like, yeah, that's my guy. 
I'm with that guy, you know. Now, I'm all doing that internally. I'm not saying a word because, again, fly on the wall. Don't deserve to be there. Do not deserve to be in the room. Done nothing. Been a part of nothing that has been successful in any way, shape, or form. And so then this old man across the table from me bows up and says, I don't get it. I don't know why you're here. At this point, the Tabasco sauce that I had put on my sandwich seeped from my stomach and started getting into my blood. Anybody else had any Tabasco sauce get into their blood? Okay, so I start feeling the Tabasco sauce a little bit. All right, so I kind of lean a little bit forward in my chair. Jimmy notices that I lean forward. And he lightly, gently, just to remind me, you don't even deserve to be in this room, bro, put his foot on my foot. <laughs> okay? It was, just a, it was just a little tap. It was just a, hey, bro, we're okay. I wasn't having it, though. To me, I was like, I got to, you know what? This is not right. He was invited here. You asked him to come, old man. So I lean forward on the table, put my hands on the table. I said, well, why are you here? (laughs) At this point, the pressure that Jimmy was administering to my foot began to increase. But that did not deter me because the man gave me a horrible answer. He said, Well, I'm here because I think we need to have college students that when they leave the houses that they're renting, they leave them in better shape than when they found them. I'm like, what? I was like, have you ever worked with college students? Do you know a college student? Okay. And so I said, at this point, Jimmy goes from the pressure to the heel grind on my toes. Okay. It's full on. I think he has now shifted his weight off of his chair and all of his weight is on my foot. Normal people at this point would have been like, you probably should be quiet at this stage. But no, I persisted. And I said, well, sir, how are you going to get college students to do that? And he said, well, I guess that's where what Jimmy's talking about comes into play and I like an arrogant I don't even want to say the word lean back in my chair like I'm a victorious conqueror and say exactly now it felt good I thought Jimmy is gonna thank me I just caught this dude he doesn't know what he's talking about. Boom, you know, I, I slammed him down. So we're leaving from the meeting for what was within the meeting that was within the meeting to the next meeting, which was like one layer up. So now it's like four, you know, eight people to now like a hundred people. And on the way, Jimmy pulls me aside. And he says, hey, you're not allowed to say another word for the entire rest of the time that we're here. He's like, thank you. I appreciate what you were trying to do but I don't want you to say another word. You know, sometimes you say something, it feels good, it seems right, but it doesn't help. 
Sometimes we say things, it feels good, seems right, but it doesn't help. Best part of this story was a couple of years later, I'm in another meeting with a, a guy who I met at this Seattle conference after Jimmy had told me I was no longer allowed to speak. And in this meeting, I'm being myself. I'm, you know, probably interjecting too often. I'm cracking jokes, whatever. He pulls me aside and he's like, J.D., I'm so proud of you. I'm confused. I'm like, you're proud of me? He's like, I'm so proud of you. Man, you have really come into yourself. I remember when we were together in Seattle a few years ago, man, you wouldn't even introduce yourself to people. You were just standing in the back of the room. Now you are in the middle of the conversation, interjecting. And I was like, bro, I got a story for you. I was silenced. Because sometimes you say things, it feels good, it seems right, but it doesn't help. And for the past few weeks, we have been talking about what's happening in our nation. And we, we've been looking at the division and the chaos that's becoming our normal. And what we're finding again and again and again is that in the middle of all that feels like it is broken and beyond repair, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Amen? That things are not too far gone. All the enemy has intended for evil, God can and will make for good. All the opposition, all the pain, all the turmoil, it's an opportunity for the people of God to bring a message of truth and hope in the midst of all that seems like it is unraveling around us. And I believe that the opportunity that's in front of us is to be a people that speak life into our culture when it is speaking death. The opportunity for us is to speak life into culture when culture is speaking death. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. Both. We can speak life into each other. We can speak life into our situation. We can speak life into our culture, into our city, into our society. Or we can speak death into those things. And, and some of you have heard me say this before. But one of the biggest lies that's perpetuated from parents to children is the phrase that sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you have ever heard that crap? The older I get, the more I realize how stupid of a saying that is. That's up there with the lie of Santa Claus. It just is not true. Stepped on some people's toes there. If you didn't know, sorry, kids. I forgot kids were in here. My bad. I'm going to get a few emails for that one. My bad. Listen to your parents. <laughs> Not recovering from that one. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Words have a way of affecting us in profound ways. You know, what keeps me up at night is often what people say. It's, it's not what they do. Isn't that amazing? That, that words that people say to you, write to you, 
point at you can sometimes feel like they're weighted shoulder pads on you. Words build the atmosphere that we live in. Words create. They've always created. From the beginning of it all, it says in Genesis 1-3 that God said, let there be light. He didn't think it. He didn't wave his hands. He said, let there be light. And when he said it, his words created the atmosphere that we live in. And from that moment, words have always been creating. That's why we're admonished in Proverbs 18 that we should speak life and not death because our words do things when we say them. Our our words create atmospheres that we live in. There was a study that was done a few years ago that actually started to look at the effect that words have on water. Just to be noted, the person who did this study was not a believer. And so what they did was, is they got a bunch of jars of water. They filled these jars with water. They sealed them all the same way. And then they put messages on the bottles. And they let those messages just be on the bottles for a couple of months. Then they froze the water and they had photographers come to take pictures of how the water crystallized when it was frozen and if there was a difference in how they crystallized based on the message that was on them. Nothing was done to these bottles except messages taped on these bottles. Now take a look at this. This is a picture of the water crystal that was formed on the bottle that had the phrase, thank you, taped on it. Doesn't look pretty? It's like a little snowflake. Now check this out. This is a picture of the water crystal that was created when the phrase, I will kill you, was taped on it. Our words create atmosphere. What we say affects everything in us. That's why we have to put a guard over our mouth and we have to fight to speak life and not death because I want you to take those pictures and I want you to think about what's happening in culture right now. And honestly, let's not even make it about them. Let's make it about us, what's happening in us right now. We're throwing around words in ways that are poisoning us poisoning our atmosphere, poisoning what surrounds us, poisoning our relationships. And it feels like we're not even having many conversations anymore. All we have is confrontations. It's no longer, I disagree with you. I think maybe we should try this way. I think maybe we should look at doing this this way or fixing this that way. No, no, no. The tone of our culture is, if you don't agree with me, you are evil and therefore I must destroy you. That's the tone of the culture that we're living in because I'm right, okay? And if I'm right, that makes me good. And if I'm right and you're different than me, then you're wrong and that makes you bad. Have 
good friend of mine was telling me that he was driving in his car with someone from his family. They passed by a house that had a Trump tent sign in the front yard. And this is a real conversation that happened between these people. Without skipping a beat, they said, I hate the people that live in that house. They're racist, they're evil, they're homophobic, they're idiots, and I can't stand them. My friend goes, whoa, that's strong. Do you know them? No, I've never met them. But that sign tells me everything I need to know about them. That is not heaven. That's not the tone of heaven. This tension of hate before debate, this reality of death by association, screaming before listening, it's not helping us move forward. It's poisoning us. It's poisoning us in an attempt to be heard. The words that we're using are actually creating more distance between us. And this division is not just something that we're experiencing where we work. It's not just something that we're experiencing in our city. No, no, no. It, it's, this division is, is now seeping into families. Families are feeling these tensions in ways that are new. And let's just, let's just be reminded of John 10.10, 10, okay? The thief, speaking of the devil, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I, Jesus says, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Don't forget that in the middle of all of these fights that we're having, these tensions we're feeling, that the win for the enemy is to see us divided. The win of hell is to keep us divided. We're in a kingdom battle just as much as we are in an ideological battle. And the devil would love for me and you to not be able to sit across the table from one another. The devil would love for you to not be able to get with your family. Because he wants to steal and kill and destroy everything that is right and good about us. But the way of heaven, Jesus tells us, is that he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. So what in the world are we supposed to say when you feel like you're trapped? What do we do? Like, really, like, what are we supposed to do? If you want to speak words that bring life and don't bring death, like, what does it look like when you're at work and someone says, hey, who are you voting for? Wow, that's a loaded question these days. Man, you're talking about a nuclear explosion could happen based on how you respond to that. No matter how you respond to it. Either way. So what do you say? Do you lie? Do you just walk away? Act like you're deaf? You can't hear? What do you say when someone comes up to you and says, what are your thoughts on systematic racism? 
What do you say when someone comes up to you and says, do you hate me because I'm gay? What do we say when we are faced with the hundreds, if not thousands, of explosive issues that are in our culture today? How do we respond in a way where we feel like we're speaking life, where we're speaking hope, and we're speaking truth? How do we step into these moments to bring peace and clarity and not pain and chaos? And if you have a Bible, I want you to jump with me to John 8, verse 3. This is a story that's been preached about a million times because it's that good. John 8. Verse 3, this is the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. It says this, the teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You ever felt like you've been asked a question and it was a trap? Like you're, you're asked a question and you know like, yo, this is a trap. This isn't a question. This is a trap. We should pay attention because I kind of feel like this is the nature of conversation today. The conversation is turned into who's going to step into the trap. Jesus was put in a situation where they tried to trap him. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis to accuse him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, let anyone who has without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground and all this and those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. Probably that dude that said that stuff to Jimmy probably left first. That was a joke. Relax, man. Y'all are uptight. It's been a while. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground and at this, those who heard him began to go away, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there and Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, we don't see stuff like this happen in our urban cities anymore. This kind of stuff doesn't go down the way that it used to go down. But if you actually kind of look at the story, it might be exactly what's happening in our cities right now. You have a group of people that are demanding that justice be done. They're saying, hey, this woman did something wrong. She was caught in the wrong. She was not framed. This woman was caught. She did what they said that she did. And this group of people are coming to Jesus and they're quoting the law. They're saying, look, Jesus, this is what the law says. According to the law, she must die. Violence is the only way to right this wrong. Sounds a little familiar, right? Violence is the only way to right this wrong for what this woman did. So what do you say about that? The whole goal of this moment, they were trying to put Jesus in a situation where he, in their mind, was having to choose between being the righteous man that he said that he was or not being. 
They were trying to trap him. And this is what we kind of feel ourselves happening in culture right now. It's like, it, it's like you're either with us or you're against us. You're right or you're wrong, right? And, and, and Jesus' first move, feeling this same tension, Jesus' first move was to say nothing. Can I emphasize that enough? Jesus' first move was to say nothing. He bent down. I mean, there's all kinds of theories about what he did when he was riding in the dirt. But here's what we do know. He didn't say anything. What do you say when you find yourself in a moment where you feel like you're going to be trapped? I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go. My encouragement to you would be say nothing quickly. Say nothing quickly. Culture needs us to be those who respond and not react. The world is reacting right now and the deficit is people responding right now. And culture is craving for people to say nothing quickly and not to react, but to respond, right? James 1.19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger, how true is this? Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I mean, there's all kinds of opinions that Jesus was writing people's names in the dirt. That he was writing sins in the dirt. But I think what Jesus was really doing was that he was showing that there actually is another way when we feel like there's no way. Because what Jesus did to this group of people that were making him for should this woman choose between should this woman live or should this woman die and Jesus is like you know what both of them don't feel right you ever been in a situation where someone's like are you for this or are you against this and you're like you know what both of them don't feel right both of them don't feel right you're forced to have to choose between things. Both of them don't feel right. Jesus is in that same tension. And this is what Jesus says in John 8. Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. You see, Jesus' whole life was a picture of heaven. He's the perfect representation of the Father. Everything that he did, everything that he didn't do, everything he said, everything that he didn't say was for that end, to represent heaven, to represent the Father on earth. And, 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 and so in Proverbs 15:1, it tells us that it's a gentle answer. It's a gentle answer that turns away wrath, but it's harsh words that stir up anger. The kingdom way is to respond a different way. The kingdom way is to respond in the opposite way. The kingdom way is to take the anger that's coming at you and respond with kindness and gentleness. Not 
to respond in the same spirit that's coming at you. No, we don't conform to the patterns of this world, but we live transformed with a renewed mind. Listen to Luke 6, verse 27. But you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn and let them slap the other one also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. What Jesus did in this moment when he said, those of you who have not sinned, throw the first stone. He was saying, hey, if we caught you doing the thing that you're doing, how would you want us to treat you? How would you want us to treat you? Would you want us to throw stones at you? The way of the world is to hate those who think different than we think. That's the pattern of the world, to despise anyone or anything that's coming against what we believe. But the way of the kingdom is to love our enemies, to bless them, to be kind to them, to provide for them. When they accuse us, to take it, to not defend ourselves, but know that our defense comes from heaven. Again, James 1, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So what do we do when we're put in a situation where we're thinking, what do I say? How do I respond? One, say nothing quickly. Two, we listen first. And three, we treat everyone the way that we would wanna be treated. Don't just spit the facts that you believe. Listen and treat everyone the way that you want to be treated. We respond in the opposite gentle, kind spirit because it's a gentle answer. It's a gentle answer that turns away wrath. The tone of heaven is the filter for the toxic atmosphere of our flesh. The tone of heaven is the filter for the toxic atmosphere of our flesh, of the world that we live in, the city that we find ourselves in. It's the tone of heaven that is the filter. And I'm going to close by reading Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 to us because when I read this scripture this week, I felt like it was written for us for such a time as this. It says this, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it as so we can obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who's going to cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to save so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near to you. The word is near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death 
and destruction. For I commanded you today to love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, keep his commands and decrees in the laws, and then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods, the ways of the world, and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So this day, I call you I call to the heavens and the earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Now choose life. We affect the tone of our culture. We're not affected by the tone of our culture. And what we need is people not reacting and responding. What we need is people not speaking quickly, but listening. And what we need is Jesus' people being filled with the opposite spirit of the world and responding in gentleness and kindness and saying, you know what, I'm going to turn the other cheek. If you hit me, go ahead and hit the other one. If you took my jacket, you can have my shirt. You asked me to walk a mile, I'm going to walk too. Because we're not in it to win, we're in it for the kingdom of heaven to advance on earth. Stand with me. I'm going to pray. Jesus, I'm asking that your glory would fill us right now. God, that right now that your presence and your power and your glory would come and rest in this place. We believe that you have set before us today a very clear picture that we can choose life or we can choose death. We can poison the atmosphere that we're living in, or we can speak hope and life into the atmosphere we're living in. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would begin to unify us where the enemy's trying to divide us. You would begin to heal us where pain has scarred us. And Lord, I'm asking that right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would give us the grace that we need to be those who choose life who are not distracted by the ways of the world, who do not conform to the patterns of the world, who don't take the lie that we have to, to be, to equal their volume. No, God, we're asking that you would fight for us. We need only to be still. Would you give us the words that we need to say so that we can be those that will speak life and bring hope and bring clarity and bring grace and bring life in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.